You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, more precious than honey in the honeycomb is your word to us, because in it we are warned, we are rebuked, we are encouraged, we are strengthened, we are comforted. By your word, you bring us the knowledge of sin, the knowledge of Christ. You save us, sanctify us by that truth, and secure us for all eternity. And we are so glad that you have revealed yourself in the pages of Scripture and that you have given this word to us, whereby we might know you and know how we ought to live. You have given to us everything that pertains to life and to godliness. And so we ask that in our looking at your word this morning, that you would open our eyes and and warn us and encourage us and allow us to see wonderful beautiful things, and to receive encouragement and nutrition from it for our souls. We ask this in Jesus' name, for His sake, for His glory. Amen. Well, we are at the end of the book of Acts, chapter 28. You'll need your Bibles open to that passage. We're going to be looking at the last two verses of that chapter, Acts chapter 28. We've been in the book of Acts for a long time. Did you know that? (laughs) <laughs> we really have. I Let me share with you something that's a little quirky in my own life that I've noticed in the last couple of years. Um, I've noticed that the longer I preach, and by that I mean the more years that I do this, not the, the longer I go on on any given Sunday, but the longer I preach, the more years that I do this, the slower I end up going through Scripture, and the the smaller that I of the text that I end up preaching on, and the longer I preach on a Sunday morning. Um, I went back a couple of months ago to some sermons that I preached when I very first started pastoring in Kootenai Community Church. That was 10 years ago. This last December, Dieter and I marked 10 years that I've been pastoring here at Kootenai. Um, and I follow Spurgeon's advice. Charles Spurgeon said you should keep all your old sermons so that you can go back later and weep over them. And that's what I do. I, I go, I take all my old sermons. Sometimes I open them up and I read over them and I think, oh, I gotta stand before the Lord and answer for that. And I was doing that a couple of months ago with First Thessalonians. And I noticed, I went back to some of the sermons, that, that was the first book that I preached on, First Thessalonians. So I went back to chapter 1. We covered First Thessalonians chapter 1, two messages. Two messages. And I looked at them, and I, there's two things that struck me. Number one was the amount of material that I went through. And number two, the amount of notes that I took into the pulpit with me. And I only preached for 20 minutes back then. 20, 25 minutes tops. Now I'm 40, 45 minutes and... I look back at the notes and I think, what in the world would you need all those notes for for 20 minutes of talking? 20 minutes sometimes can be an introduction nowadays. And that was a whole sermon back then. And two sermons on 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And so then I opened up 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and I read through it. And I, there's one sermon, two, three, four, five. I found six sermons in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 that I would preach if I were to go through it today. So that's why I go back and I weep over all my old sermons. I've noticed the longer I preach, the longer it takes us to go through a book. And um, I remember back when, before we started the book of Acts, we had Chris and Debbie Kleinster over for dinner. And she asked, what are you preaching on next? Because we were coming to the end of 1 Peter. So what book are you going to do next? And I said, well, I'm thinking the book of Acts. And she goes, wow, that's a long book. We had kind of a laugh over that because I already knew that it was a long book. There was no new revelation there for me. And we kind of chuckled about it. And I thought to myself, and I think I expressed at that time, and I did to several people, that 
in my mind, I was expecting 18 months, maybe two years at the outside. Even if we took little diversions, rabbit trails for uh, doctrinal issues like we did for miracles and we did for tongues and we did for infant baptism and we did for a couple of other things, even with those little diversions sort of off on these doctrinal issues, maybe two years maximum. So we started the book of Acts on January 8th, 2004. Let me save you the math. That's three and a half years. By my count, over 180 sermons that we've had out of the book of Acts in those three and a half years. Putting it in these terms, that's fully one-third of my pastoral ministry that I've spent speaking out of the book of Acts. One-third of the time that I've been pastoring has been in the book of Acts. Um, I had an elder, one of my fellow elders, say to me before we started the book of Acts, and I'm not going to tell you which one it was, but his name sounds a lot like Dave Rich, <laughs> said to me, what book are you preaching through next? And I said, the book of Acts. And he said to me, and this is a quote, ooh, end quote. And I said, what do you mean, ooh? And he said, that's, man, you're going to have a hard time making that interesting because that's just all Paul's travel itinerary and people and place names, and he went here and he did this, and that's going to be tough to make interesting. Now, to his credit, this anonymous elder, to his credit, about a year later, he came up to me and said, I'm really enjoying the book of Acts. And also to his credit, I have to be honest with you, there was floating around in the back of my mind the same, my mind, the same concern. How am I going to make all of this interesting? Because to be honest with you, when we started the book of Acts, it was my least favorite book of the New Testament. But what I have found, and I hope this is true for you as well, that it is actually the people and the places and the itinerary that has made this whole thing come alive for me. And Lanny said before the service, it's kind of sad coming to the end of the book of Acts. You feel like, and this is the way I feel too, like a big adventure has come to a conclusion, like an, an epoch of my life has is now finishing up as we finish the book of Acts. So we're going to look at today the last two verses of chapter 28. And I told you last week we would finish chapter 28, but we're not going to finish the book of Acts. And you probably are wondering all week long, what does that mean? Let me tell you what that means. Today we're going to look at the last two verses of chapter 28. We had a whole bunch of loose ends that we need to sort of tie up. Next week, what I want to do is I want to go back in a very summary fashion, one of these excursions that I plan every once in a while. I want to look at the gospel of Acts. What was the gospel message that was preached in the book of Acts? Is it what we typically hear today, or was it different than what we typically hear today? So I want to evaluate the gospel and say, what was it that the apostles preached? And then the following Sunday, two weeks from today, I want to preach a message called After Acts, and I want to, I want to answer some questions. What happened when Acts came to a conclusion? What happened? You, you notice that he kind of leaves, Luke kind of leaves us hanging. Just this two-year thing, and it comes to an end, and you kind of wonder, what happened next? You feel like there should be another chapter, but there's not. And so I want to answer some of the questions, what happened after the book of Acts? So today, Acts 28, we're going to look at verses 30 and 31. So you need your Bibles open there, and I'll read the verses to you. And then we're going to look at three things that sort of characterize this, this stay of Paul in Rome. Uh, comfort, service, and freedom. Verse 30, and he stayed, this is Paul, he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. The very first thing that characterized this last part of Paul's ministry in the, uh, in the book, in the city of Rome at the end of the book of Acts, the first thing is comfort. He stayed for two full years in his own rented quarters. Now you go back to verse 16, you find out he had a Roman guard that was chained to him. He was allowed to stay by himself, but he had to have a guard that was with him constantly. So he was, he was chained or at least over, overseen by a Roman soldier who was 
on duty, 24-7, somebody who was with him, probably on a rotating basis, all of these Roman soldiers who would guard the Apostle Paul, but he had a certain level of comfort because he wasn't put in the prison with the common criminals. He was allowed to stay by himself in his own rented quarters. Now, where did Paul get the money for staying by himself in his own rented quarters? What did Paul do for a living? He was a leather worker or a tent maker. So it's possible because prisoners in those days were allowed to earn money if they could do so during their confinement. They were allowed to earn money and receive money. So it's possible that in his own rented quarters, Paul was doing leather working and selling these things out of his home or sending them out on the streets with some of his traveling companions to sell to earn money for the rent. Or it might be that Paul had Christian brothers and friends in the city of Rome who were contributing to his needs. You read Romans chapter 16, you find all of these people who were in the city of Rome who were Paul's friends. There's a large church there. Probably a lot of them were friends of Paul. He knew them personally. They were probably contributing to him and renting these quarters. But we do find out that he wasn't allowed to leave his home. Why? Because for the third time, Luke mentions that people were coming to Paul. They were coming to him with questions. They were coming to him with issues. They were coming to him to get taught, discipled. Some of them probably unbelievers who were coming and inquisitive about Paul, wanted to see him, wanted to meet him, and he was welcoming all of them. And he did this for two full years. Now we read those words. Paul stayed in his own rented quarter for two full years, and the first question that comes to my mind is one that I have asked Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, over and over throughout the course of the last three and a half years, how can you cover two years of Paul's life in just one sentence like that? Don't you want chapter 29? What was going on during those two years? Were there trials? Were there were there uh, witnesses? Did they show up? Was he arguing? What was happening for those two years? How did he live? And who visited him? What kind of significant people did Paul meet during those two years in Rome? But Luke just breezes over two years of this great man's life in one sentence. He did this for two years, and he just sums up all of that. Throughout the book of Acts, I've this is one loose end that we need to tie up this morning. Throughout the book of Acts, I've had you write down in your margin, or at least can't make you do that, but I can suggest to you that you write down some dates in the margin of your Bible as we progress through. I've got one final date for you to write down at the end of the book of Acts. It's the date at the end of this two years. When this two years comes to a conclusion, we are at 63 A.D., the spring of 63 A.D. That's by my reckoning. Now, depending on what study Bible you have, you might have 64, you might have 62, you might have 61, depending on how they're counting years and all that, but Consistent with the reckoning that I've given you, this is spring of 63 A.D. Now, here's something significant, friends. Listen to this. Do you notice how Luke leaves the book of Acts sort of dangling here? He doesn't tell us what happened after this two years. He doesn't tell us about Paul's martyrdom. He doesn't tell us about any, if Paul was released or any trials that he had. He just says it happened for two years, and he just sort of wraps it up, and you're sort of looking over the precipice of a cliff wondering, okay, what happened after the two years? He leaves us hanging. Why is that? It's a very good evidence, listen to this carefully, it's a very good evidence that when that two years was over, that was actually modern day for Luke when he wrote the book of Acts in 63 AD. Now some people try and say Acts was written after 90 AD by somebody who thought he was Luke and tried to pass himself off as Luke. It wasn't an early book. That's all hogwash. The book of Acts was likely written in the spring of 63 AD, and what Luke did is he wrote right up to what was present day for him, and he finished the book, and he wrapped it up, and that was it. Luke doesn't say anything about Paul's uh, release or another imprisonment or anything about his execution and his martyrdom. Luke doesn't include any of that because Acts was written before those things happened. Luke wrote up to what was modern day for him and he just signed off the end of the book of Acts and that was it. So the book of Acts was written in the spring of 63 A.D. because Luke doesn't include anything that happened after that and that is good evidence for an early date for the book of Acts. Now why two years going by? What happened during those two years? Was there a trial? 
Did they bring accusers against Paul? You remember he's in chains. He's on trial for sedition and sectarianism and sacrilege. And these are the things that they've had him in prison for. Was there a trial? Did he stand before Nero? What happened during the two years? And why did he wait for two years, have to wait for two years before he faced a trial? Well, there's possibly three things that might have contributed to this two-year delay. Let me give you three of them. And it might be one, it might be two, or it might be all three of these things. First of all, it's very possible that Paul was waiting for two years because there was a backlog of cases on Nero's docket. And occasionally, some of Nero's assistants or some of the Caesar's assistants would go through the cases and they would say, these are really important and this one over here is not so important. This guy's probably not guilty of it. So they would just dismiss certain cases to sort of clear up the backlog. Some people think that's what happened to Paul. After two years of waiting around, Nero just simply went through and said, look, there's not enough evidence. There's not enough witnesses. We don't have anything to hold this guy. Dismiss it. Start clearing off the docket and that they released Paul. That's what some people think happened. Very possible. A second thing that might have contributed to it is that they were waiting for two years for Paul's accusers to show up. Remember the Jews back in Jerusalem who arrested him and brought the accusations against him? Well, nobody can stand trial without the accusers present in a Roman judicial system, so it very well may be that they were waiting and waiting and waiting for the accusers to show up and to bring their case against Paul. But the Jews back in Jerusalem have got him out of Jerusalem, out of their hair, out of their synagogues. They're happy just to have him on the far reaches of the Roman Empire and out of their hair. So it's likely that they didn't even show up to bring accusations against the Apostle Paul. Why? Because they didn't have a case. Do you remember he was innocent? And they didn't have witnesses. And they didn't have evidence. And they didn't have anything. And if you're a Jew, or if you're anybody, you do not want to stand in Nero's courtroom and present some flimsy case against a guy unless you've got rock-solid evidence to back up your accusations. And they didn't have that, and they knew it. And so they probably just said, look, he's out of our hair, he's in Rome, just let him sit and rot in a Roman jail until they deal with him, and not even bring accusations against him. Some people think that that's what happened, and that the two-year statute of limitations ran out, and they just released Paul because of a lack of accusers. Or it may be, and this is the third thing, do you remember what happened back in Acts chapter 27? What was all of that about? The boat voyage, remember the shipwreck and the sea and everything was lost. It may be that in the process of Acts 27 with that month on board that ship and the shipwreck and everything being lost except for the lives, that all of Paul's legal documentation was lost in that shipwreck because the Romans were meticulous record keepers. And so it may be that all of Paul's case file, all of his history and all of of the evidence and everything that was supposed to be traveling with him was lost as well and they had to take two years to go to Caesarea in Jerusalem and to copy all the documents and all the transcripts and all the court records and bring them back to face up to Nero. At any rate, it took two years. Two years went by. And here's, what here's what's significant. Here's what I want you to notice. By the time we reach the end of the book of Acts, Paul has been in prison as a prisoner of Rome for five years. Don't forget that. Five years. He was arrested in the spring of 58 A.D., He spent two years at Caesarea. He had a year uh, after his trial before Felix and that involved his shipwreck and his voyage to Rome and arriving in Rome and then two years in Rome. That's five years as a prisoner without any justice, without anything good happening to him, just sort of sitting in prison, languishing for five wasted years of this great man's life. Isn't that incredible? Five years he was a prisoner by the time we get to the end of Romans 28, Acts 28. Okay, so it was characterized by a relative degree of comfort. Second, by service. Look what Luke says. He doesn't leave us totally in the dark as to what Paul was doing during those two years. Look what he says. He was what? He was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He was involved in preaching and teaching. Now listen, Paul was not the type of guy that would feel good about being sedentary and sitting around and doing nothing. 
This, I think, sitting in a Roman prison and not be, and being restricted to his own home was something that would go against the grain of the Apostle Paul. He was a very ambitious person, a very active person, a type of person who got out and traveled around a lot. He liked being out in the marketplaces. He liked going into the suburbs. He liked going down into the street, into the synagogues, into the, into the temples, into any place he could to preach the gospel. But now he's restricted to his own home. But look what Paul does. Even restricted to his own home, he preaches the kingdom of God and teaches concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it may be that Paul is not able to serve as he would like to, but Paul serves as he can. And even though he's restricted, Paul is still using every opportunity that he can to serve Christ and to teach and to preach. Now friends, listen. There may be times in your life when certain restrictions impose themselves upon you. Family restrictions, job restrictions, financial restrictions, any kind of limitation like that. And you may say, well, that restricts what I'm able to do for the Lord. But the reality is that even though you can't serve the Lord maybe as you would like to, you still can serve the Lord as you can. And that's what Paul does. Takes every opportunity that he can. I have these free minutes. I have this free time. I have this ability. I'll do what I can. I may not do everything that I would like to do, but I will do whatever I can. And that's what Paul does. Preaching and teaching. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, preaching and teaching are kind of similar. There's some overlap there, but this is what he's doing. He's proclaiming and he's teaching and he's instructing people and he's doing this over and over and over again. He does this for two years. Friends, it was involved, he was involved in service. He was serving the Lord and doing everything that he could in the context even of his restrictions to serve Christ to the fullest of his ability. And here's what I love about this verse. The very last glimpse that we get of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, what is he doing? Preaching and teaching. Right? One of the very first glimpses that we get of the Apostle Paul after he gets converted on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, what does he do? He goes immediately into the synagogues and begins to proclaim Christ. Now here we are, almost 30 years later, and what is he still doing? Preaching and teaching. Why? Because that is what God had called him to do at the beginning. And here's Paul. He's just faithful right to the end. And he does the same thing his whole life long. This is what God had called him to do. This is what he started out doing. This is what he continued to do. This was his whole ministry. This was his whole life. And he gets to the end of it, and he's still preaching and teaching. All the way up until the end of the book of Acts. That's all he's doing is preaching and teaching. It's all about the Word. It's all about preaching. It's all about proclaiming. It's all about the truth. And that's what Paul's doing. Preaching and teaching. It was so much about the Word for Paul that when he started his life, that's what he started doing, his Christian life. When he ended his Christian life, he wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy, pay attention to teaching and what? Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Paul never changed. Never changed his pattern. Never changed his method. Never changed his philosophy of ministry. Never changed his approach. Friends, you and I live in a day and an age in which fads come in and out of the church so fast it's difficult to even keep up with them. You know that. There's always a new program, a new study guide, a new this, a new method, a new manner, a new this, a new ism. And these things come into the church and they blow around like the wind. And Paul wasn't a fad man. Paul wasn't a program man. He was not somebody who said, well, I tried preaching for a season. I did one missionary journey of preaching. Now I'm going to take a survey and I'm going to try something else. We're going to see if there's another way to grow the church, another way to do ministry. Paul didn't do that. You see him starting out preaching and teaching, and that is what he did, friends, all the way up until the time that Nero took his head. He was faithful in it all the way to the end. Service. Not only a relative degree of comfort, service. The third thing that characterized this two-year stay in the city of Rome was a certain degree of freedom. Look at the last two words in the verse. I love it. 
He did this, verse 31 says, with all openness and unhindered. Open, without any fear of threat, without any kind of restrictions on it. It was unhindered. Now, is Paul unhindered? No. So how can Luke say that Paul's preaching was unhindered? Because the Word of God cannot be chained. So even though Paul's freedom is limited, the Word of God's freedom is not limited. And he was able to teach and to preach without any hindrance, without any closedness, without any kind of restrictions at all. He's just able to do what he does and to preach and to teach and and put out the Scripture and the Word of God was spreading. And he was doing this with all openness and totally unhindered. No restrictions upon him whatsoever. The Apostle Paul said, "If if I preach the Gospel then I have nothing of which to boast because necessity is laid upon me. I have to preach the gospel so that if I end up preaching the gospel and I'm faithful to the end, Paul says, I can't boast about that. Why can't I boast about that? Because that's what God's expectations are. And if I preach the gospel all the way up into the end of my life and my consuming passion is the Word of God and the truth of God, if that's my job and that's my calling and that's God's expectation, if I do it faithfully and I fully and I discharge my duty, I have nothing of which to boast because that's all God expected. And so all I can do is I said what was, I did what, all I can say, Paul would say, is that I did what was required of me. And I didn't even go over and above and beyond the call of duty. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. So that's what he did. And with all openness and with unhindered totally. Do you notice that the apostle Paul is not concerned at all about his circumstances or his comfort? Because friends, do you know something? It is the truth of God and the gospel of God being open and unhindered. That was all that consumed Paul. That's all he cared about. He didn't care about his freedom. Didn't care about his comfort. Didn't care about uh, any kind of creature comforts at all. The consuming passion of Paul's life was the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Because you're expendable, and I'm expendable, and he's expendable, but the truth of God is not expendable. And so Paul actually wrote to the Philippians from this same prison. And he said, Brethren, I want you to know that my circumstances have turned out for the furtherance of the Gospel message. Oh, that's all Paul needed to know. Prison, beating, afflictions, whatever it might be, as long as my circumstances turn out, for the furtherance of the gospel message, that was all that he was concerned about. And do you notice how Luke wraps up the book of Acts? It's not even a focus on Paul. It's not even so much a focus on Paul's ministry or his imprisonment or his suffering. But what does he tell us? It was the word of God that was going forth unhindered. And friends, this is the central theme of the book of Acts as Luke has developed it for 28 chapters. It started out in chapter 2 where Luke says that the early Christians were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to their doctrine. And then he wraps up chapter 28 by saying the word of God was going out, it was unhindered, and it was open. And that's the theme that he has developed throughout the book. The apostles preached the Word of God and the church grew. And the apostles teach the Word of God and the church grew. And the apostles focused on the Word of God and the church grew. And every time the the Word was preached and the Gospel was proclaimed, God added to the church daily those who were being saved according to His will. And the growth of the church is dependent upon what a church does with the Word of God. Now you can neglect the Word of God and grow a huge group of people. But you cannot grow a healthy church. You cannot grow a solid church. You cannot grow healthy and mature Christians apart from the Word of God. And so the growth of the church is directly connected to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And so the book of Acts is all about this. The spread of the Word of God through the messengers of God from Jerusalem to Rome. From the upper room to Nero's courtroom. How did the gospel message get from Jerusalem in a Jewish church in the upper room to being a Gentile church in the city of Rome right into the courtroom of Nero himself? And we've traced it from chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 28. Now that's it. That's it. We're done with Acts 28 now. We've covered all 31 verses of Acts chapter 28. We've covered the book of Acts. But I tell you something. I do have some loose ends that we need to sort of wrap up before we're done today. i got too many loose ends to do it just today. So we're going to do it today. And like I said, the next two weeks. 
But here's the first loose end that we need to wrap up. As we've gone through the book of Acts, I've told you periodically what books of what other books of the New Testament were written at what time as we've gone through the book of Acts. We've got a couple more books that we sort of need to plug into the narrative of the book of Acts here at the end of chapter 28. But I want you to turn back to chapter 14. And what I want to do is I want to remind you, refresh your mind, because it's been maybe a year or two since we've been in Acts 14. I want to remind you of how much of your New Testament was written by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 14. The Acts 14 ends with uh, the end of Paul's first missionary journey. And I made note when we were back there that between Acts 14 and 15, you could write down the book of Galatians was written. The book of Galatians was written. Galatians was written about 48 A.D., after Paul's first missionary journey, before his second missionary journey, and before the Jerusalem Council, the book of Galatians. About the same time, you don't have to plug this one in, but just keep this in your mind, about the same time the book of James was written. Those are the first two books of the New Testament written, the book of Galatians and the book of James. Now, why am I going through this? Because I just talked to somebody this last week who said to me that they were talking to somebody who said, no, 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 the Corinthians was written, it comes after the book of Acts, so Corinthians was written after Acts was written. There are some people who think, and maybe you're sitting here today, who think that all of the New Testament is in chronological order. It's not chronologically laid out. Okay, The book of James and the book of Galatians were two of the, the two first books of the New Testament written. And so Galatians comes in here at the end of chapter 14, beginning of chapter 15. Now I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 18. And if you've been with us and you've been taking notes, then you'll probably notice that in chapter 18, between verses 5 and verse 6, we made note that 1 Thessalonians was written. And a couple months later, and I put this down at the end of verse 11, 2 Thessalonians was written. 1 Thessalonians was written about 51 A.D. 2 Thessalonians a couple months later in 51 A.D. Those two books were written in, on Paul's second missionary journey. And by the time we get to 51 A.D., you don't have to put this in your Bible, but just make a mental note of it, there were two Gospels that had been written by that time. Matthew and Mark had both been written and were widely circulated by 51 A.D. Now turn over to Acts chapter 19. This is Paul's third missionary journey. In 19 verse 20, I told you to make note of the fact that 1 Corinthians was written. 1 Corinthians was written from Ephesus around 55 A.D. in the city of Ephesus during Paul's two-year stay there. He had a lot of dealings with the Corinthian church, some journeys over to Corinth to deal with some issues. A couple years later, over in Acts chapter 20, Somewhere around verse 1, between verse 1 and verse 2, you have 2 Corinthians being written in 57 or 58 A.D., and you have the book of Romans being written in 58 A.D. Now that's it for Paul's writings, but if you turn over to Acts chapter 24, and if you made notice of this back when we were in Acts 24, you'll notice that the book of Luke was written somewhere during that two-year stay of Paul in the city of Caesarea while he was waiting for trials and waiting for acquittal or waiting for accusers. During that two-year stay in Caesarea is when Dr. Luke researched and wrote the book of Luke. The book of Luke is the first book of a two-book set, which is Luke and Acts. Acts is the sequel to the book of Luke, both written to the same person, Luke written in about 60 A.D. So now turn over to the end of the book of Acts. You get to Acts chapter 28, and I've got four more books for you to write down that were all written between the spring of 61 A.D. and the spring of 63 A.D. during these two years that Paul was in prison in the city of Rome. During that two-year house arrest imprisonment in the city of Rome, Paul wrote four books that are called the prison epistles. Those are the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. 
Now, you remember the book of Acts was also written in 63 A.D. That's when Luke finished it up. And just a mental note, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which occur at the end of your, toward the end of your New Testament, were likely written in the early 60s. So by 63 A.D., here's what we have. We've got the book of James, we've got Matthew, we've got Mark, we've got Acts, and we've got 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that are not Paul's epistles. By 63 A.D. of Paul's epistles, we have Galatians, 1st Thessalonians, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians, the book of Romans, then Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. In that general order. Now, do you notice any books that I left out of that list? Any books of Paul's that I left out of that list? 1st Timothy, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. Now, why did I leave those out? Because 1st Timothy, 2nd Timothy, and Titus, known as the pastoral epistles, cannot be fit anywhere in the text of the book of Acts. Nowhere in that chronology. They were written after 63 AD, after this two years, sometime after that. You say, why were they written? How were they written? Who wrote them? Where did they go? Who were they written to? What happened after that that Paul had to write three more letters? Come back in two weeks and I'll tell you all about how those three books ended up getting into your New Testament. So you have a whole lot of your New Testament already penned and written and in circulation by 63 AD. If anybody ever tells you the Gospels were written late, Acts were written late, all these books were written after the year 100, don't believe them. That is a lie. Straight from the pit of hell. That is one of the worst lies of all. Those books were written early. Most of our New Testament can be dated before 70 AD. In fact, there's good argument that every book of the New Testament was written before 70 AD. None of them were tremendously late. Last loose end I need to clean up. Let me sort of encapsulate and sum up the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. I want to give you some dates, just some numbers. I want to keep this in mind. And as I go through this, friends, this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to let your mind drift. I just want you to sit back and I want you to take all of this in, just in one lump sum. Okay? The book of Acts chapter 13 occurs in about uh, 46 A.D. The Apostle Paul is about 46 years old when he is commissioned to ministry. Now, Paul gets saved back in Acts chapter 9. He's about 35 years old. He's my age when he gets saved. For 10 years, he spent three of them in Damascus, some of it in Jerusalem, most of it in Tarsus, a little bit in Pisidian Antioch. As he traveled around, he was in ministry for those 10 years. Acts chapter 13, 10 years after Paul gets saved, about 46 A.D., is when the Spirit said, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. And he goes into full-time missionary activity. Then Paul takes three missionary journeys plus a, a journey to Rome, and the book of Acts ends in 63 A.D. at the end of Acts chapter 28. Now, between Acts chapter 13, when Paul is called officially to this missionary apostolic ministry, and the end of the book of Acts is 17 years. 17 years. Now listen. During those 17 years, the Apostle Paul preached and traveled through and planted churches in 13 Roman provinces. Judea, Syria, Phoenicia, Cilicia, Pamphylia, Galatia, Lycia, Asia, Macedonia, Achaia, the island of Cyprus, and the island of Malta, and now Rome. Thirteen Roman provinces. He planted churches, either directly or indirectly, and this is a very conservative estimate, in 18 different cities. He planted churches in Lystra, Iconium, Pisidian Antioch, Ephesus, Troas, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, and then those three years that he spent in the city of Ephesus, in which Luke says all of Asia heard the word of the Lord, there were other churches that were planted at that time, either directly or indirectly by Paul. Those included Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossus, and Smyrna. Eighteen churches. Listen, 17 of them were healthy churches. 
18 churches planted in 17 years of ministry. That's one a year. Now on top of that, you try and factor in all the cities that he visited, and there are dozens upon dozens of cities. And then the number of books that he wrote by, of our New Testament by the t- end of the book of Acts is 10 epistles. Now do you feel useless? Oh, hold on, I'm not done. Factor in the amount of sermons that he preached. It's almost staggering. In Romans chapter 15, Paul, toward the end of his third missionary journey, said, look, I have preached the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum, and there's no place left for me to preach. He had planted the gospel all over the Roman Empire to the point where Paul said, i got to go to Spain in order to not build upon another man's foundation. He had preached the gospel and established the gospel in the entire Roman Empire. Every major commercial center, every major political center, every major metropolitan city had a church established in it by the Apostle Paul in 17 years' time. You feel useless yet? Factor in the number of people that he personally discipled. Timothy, Tychicus, Aristarchus, Gaius, Priscilla, Aquila, Demas, Sopater, Titus. And the list could go on and on of the people that he personally impacted. And then you factor in all of the different types of people that he preached to. Rich people, poor people, peasants, slaves, the elite of society, Jews, Gentiles, Epicureans, Stoics, pagans, atheists, agnostics, religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, and then all of the, all of the heads of state that Paul preached to. Sergius Paulus in Acts chapter 13 on the island of Cyprus, and then Lysias, the commander of the forces in Jerusalem, then Felix and Festus and Agrippa, and then the leading man of the island of Malta, and now all of the leading Jews in the city of Rome. You feel useless yet? Now hold on, I'm not quite done. Factor in the number of miles that the Apostle Paul traveled. First missionary journey was 1,400 miles. Second missionary journey was 2,800 miles. Third missionary journey was 2,800 miles. And that doesn't include the journey to the city of Rome on board the ship. In his book, The Bible, the Moody Bible Atlas of Lands by Barry Beetzel, he writes this, quoting, listen to this. The distances traveled by the Apostle Paul are nothing short of staggering. In point of fact, the New Testament registers the equivalent of about 13,400 airline miles that the great Apostle journeyed. And if one takes into account the circuitous roads he necessarily had to employ at times, the total distance traveled would exceed the figure by a sizable margin. Moreover, it appears that the New Testament does not document all of Paul's excursions. For example, there seems to have been an unchronicled visit to Corinth. He refers to shipwrecks, of which we have no record, and there was his desire to tour Spain, though it is still debated whether or not he ever succeeded in that mission. Considering the means of transportation available in the Roman world, the average distance traveled in a day, the primitive paths, the rugged, sometimes mountainous terrain over which he had to venture, the sheer expenditure of the apostles' physical energy becomes unfathomable for any of us. It's incredible, isn't it? 13,400 airline miles minimum in 17 years' time. Do you feel useless yet? May I suggest to you that you don't need to? I know I just beat myself down and I beat you down and we look at that and we say, how could I, how, how, how could I ever do that? How could I ever arrive at that type of productivity, that type of service, that type of ministry in a life? Friends, let me suggest to you that God doesn't expect us to match up to that. That's not God's expectation. Paul is not the standard. You and I can look at people like the Apostle Paul and we could add to that dozens, hundreds of men and women that God has sprinkled throughout church history. Men like Spurgeon, who died at a relatively young age, but was probably the most prolific author to ever live. You ever seen what Spurgeon put out? 
in his books and his sermons and what he did in newspapers and letters and articles. He was prolific. If I spent every minute of every waking hour writing, I could not produce what Spurgeon produced in his short lifetime. And you could add Luther to that. You could add Calvin to that. You could add Whitfield, Wesley. You could add D.L. Moody, Jimmy, Billy Sunday. You could add a host of people to that list, all of whose productivity and life and ministry, quite frankly, border on supernatural. We look at that and we say, how in the world did they do that? Without any modern communication, without any modern means of travel, without the computer, without the internet, without the speed of everything that we enjoy, how could they produce so much? It's borderline miraculous, is it not? And it just staggers the mind. And we can look at men like that and say, I'll never measure up. I'll never be able to produce like that. I'll never be able to churn out that kind of a life and ministry. And so I might as well give up. And it can cause us to get depressed. It could cause us to despair. It could cause us to say, well, if that's what it takes to get rewards in heaven, a life like Paul's, I have no hope. I'll never get anything. What do we do with men like that that intimidate us so much, right? They make us feel so small by comparison. How do you handle that? Let me suggest three things that you and I can do to sort of deal with not despairing of life. I I read what I just read to you, and I just think, man, why spend another day doing anything? I am as useless as a bump on a log. I have produced nothing compared to that. 17 years. 17 years. He did all of that. How do we handle that? What do we do with that? How do we keep from reaching a point of despair? Let me suggest a couple of things. First of all, you and I should not be intimidated by that at all. We shouldn't be intimidated. The fact of the matter is that Paul was a unique man. And he was unique even as far as the apostles were concerned because Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, I labored more than all of them. He was, I mean, you've got you know your average people and then you've got your superior people in church history, men like Spurgeon and Luther and Calvin, these guys and Edwards that produced so much literature, and so much productivity. And then you have over that the apostles. You think, man, who could have achieved the apostles? And then Paul, out of all the apostles, stands alone. And Paul says, I worked harder than all of them. Boy, I guess. To accomplish all of that, in 17 years' time, he is a unique man. All of us are not unique. God does not expect you and I to be Paul. He expects you and I to be you and I. You understand that? So you can't say, well, I'm just a housewife, and I just cook meals, and I just wipe noses, and I just clean the, uh, the house, and I just do laundry, and that's all I do. That's what God has called you to do, friends. Your reward will be just as great in heaven as the Apostle Paul's. Because he doesn't expect you and I to be Paul. He expects you and I to be you and I and to do what we can, and to do it the best of our ability, and to do it with excellence, because you and I should not be intimidated by unique men. So don't be intimidated by them. But instead, and this is second of all, be inspired by them. I read biographies. I've read biographies of Spurgeon. I read biographies of Martin Lloyd-Jones. read biographies on Jonathan Edwards. And I read those biographies, and as as I read through them, I look at all that they accomplished. And the thing that flashes into my mind, it's an inspiration to me, because I say, if God can use those men, then he can use me, right? Is there any difference from the cloth in the cloth that we're both cut from? Is Paul any different from us as far as his his abilities or his his personality or is he superhuman? Is he superman? He's not. Even the best of men are at best still men. And so if God can use unique people like that, you and I ought to be inspired by it and say, well, I'm going to press on to excellence and I'm going to do the best that I can and I'm going to try and improve myself and learn what I can and be inspired by great men like the Apostle Paul. And third, you and I should be thankful. Not only should we not be intimidated, we should be inspired, and then we should be thankful. How thankful I am for the example of the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine your New Testament without his books? Can you imagine your New Testament without the books of the Apostle Paul? 
What an example of passion and preaching and faithfulness and focus and discipline and ambition and drive and single-mindedness and commitment to Christ and love for people and love for God. I thank God for men like that. And you and I should learn what we can from them without being intimidated by them. And then we should press on. Now, I hope, friends, that throughout the course of our study in the book of Acts, that that has been the result, that as we've gone through and we've looked at Paul and we've looked at the apostles, that you don't just throw up your hands in despair and say, I can never do that, so why try? You and I ought to look at men like Peter and Paul and say, look look what God did through them. As D.L. Moody once said, the world has yet to see what God can do through the man or woman whose whose heart is fully devoted to him. And then D.L. Moody went on to say, by the grace of God, I'll be that man. That's where you and I stand. By the grace of God, we'll be that man or we'll be that woman. We'll give our hearts fully to the Lord, make ourselves available and do what we can, and God changes the world. Not through just the Pauls, but through the housewives and the plumbers and the ditch diggers and the roofers and the contractors and the doctors and the lawyers who serve God faithfully. And we ought to be inspired on to hire them. Next week, we'll look at the book of Acts and the gospel that the apostles preached. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for the encouragement that Paul is to us. Thank you that you don't expect us to be somebody else, but that you give us your giftedness and your abilities according to your will, and you call us to serve you faithfully. And we pray that we would do just that without being intimidated, without losing heart, without feeling guilty, without feeling useless, but to know that through available men and women who are disciplined for the purpose of God and this loving holiness, loving your word and loving you, that you can do incredible things. And we pray that you would inspire us with that today through the Apostle Paul and encourage our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.